so much for joining uh, the next episode of our, our roundtable events here at Amicus as part of the live series. Um, something we're obviously looking to do a lot more of at the moment, getting some in-person events going, but I think in the meantime, it's really important to keep these uh, kind of conversations going remotely. Um, so really appreciate all of you taking the time out of your busy schedules to uh, to be with me this evening. So what I'm going to do quickly is just give everyone a really brief introduction, and then I'll come around to each of you individually and just ask you to do a little bit more of an in-depth kind of background on yourself. Um, so the topic we're going to be discussing today is the best approach for building an MVP within a startup. Um, so we'll quickly go around the, the panel. So first of all, we have Kirill, who is the founding engineer and CTO at Natural Cycles. We have Alex, um, who is the CTO at Glaze. David is co-founder and CTO at EasySize. And Erin is currently chapter lead with Danske Bank. Um, so Erin, we came to you last there. We'll come to you first for the instruction, if that's okay. I know you've taken part in one of these events before, but for anyone who's new and, and not met you before, could you just give us a brief intro and background on yourself, please? Yeah, sure. Currently, I'm working uh, in Danke Bank as a chapter lead. Uh, we're responsible for both people management and also technical uh, leadership side. And um, yeah, I've been in the bank from last four years, but overall I've been working in software industry more than all years, uh, in which I have been I have designed and built uh, different software solution applications in different domains, uh, health, agriculture, uh, security solution. Uh, but now, from last six year, primary focus in in fintechs, uh, financial industries. Um, yeah, that's me. Perfect. Thanks. Thank you very much. No, no problem at all. Thanks a lot for coming. Um, David, we'll we'll come to you next if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I've been working in tech for, for th 30 years now. Uh, started off uh, with uh, some consulting work uh, and like a big consulting firm, and then moved around from industry to industry a little bit, worked in a mobile agency for a bit, then was in charge of a post-acquisition transition of one company, and then moved to Denmark and uh, started at Easy Size. Uh, Eight and a half years ago, and I'm still here. So that's the longest ride I ever had so far, for sure. But yeah, I got to wear many, many hats uh, during my career, both uh, as a programmer, as a manager, uh, as a, a business business kind of strategy participant as well, and as a product manager as well. So yeah, I have a lot of opinions. Perfect. That's what we like to hear. That's what we need. So yeah, looking forward to that. Um, Alex, we'll come to you next. Um, yourself and, and a little bit about Glaze, it'd be great. Hello everyone, uh, Alexander here, uh, originally from Macedonia. I've been living in Denmark for years. I spent 12, 13 years products and roles uh, and the last four years with startups. Today, the most of uh, my day is spent with Perfect. Thank you very much. And last but not least, Kirill. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm Kirill. <clears throat> I'm originally from. I represent Natural Cycles, a very huge and special type of company and startup or scale up. Uh, what we do is uh, we make every product. That's a really nice, very nice mission, but practically. We, we are exception, or in the US it will be called birth control. So basically we are a mobile app that allows to be used to prevent pregnancies. And we are the first and only in the world that are FDA cleared and approved in Europe for use. So pretty spectacular, but in short, that's what are. And my I'm 20 plus years in tech, last nine years at Natural Cycles, also longest ride for me. Currently a CTO, uh, but also was a first engineer hired there and yeah it's been very exciting happy to be here amazing yeah very happy you're here thank you very much for joining again so um We'll jump straight into things, really. Now, obviously, the, the reason that all of you are here today um, is because you've got so much relevance in terms of this topic. So being able to build um, that initial products within a startup environment. Now, I imagine the answer for you will, will differ a little bit here. Um, but does anyone want to maybe get started on what the initial idea generation is like when building an MVP? So who, who's actually been involved in that initial, you know, having the kind of light bulb moment and this is what we need to build? And what's the process of that actually like when, when it first happens? Yeah, I can start if no one wants. To, if no one else wants to. Like usually, the, the, there's two routes uh, from my experience. There's the the kind of uh, enthusiasm route where there's just someone who has uh, 
that I, an idea of uh, some problem or like a solution for something that they don't see in the world or they see a market for, right? And those people so most often don't really know what to do with it and how to build it. And they just start the company and hire engineers and they build it. Uh, or then the second, like really common, uh, the more I kind of got through, through my career, the more I started seeing people who kind of approach it from like a more methodical standpoint where, you know, starting from like validations of hypotheses and uh, bets that they're making. Uh, and that's the, like, in my view, uh, tr having, trying both ways, the, the second way is definitely the, the, the more successful one, uh, uh, where you see like an idea or a bet or a, a hypothesis that you can make, and then you just validate it through an MVP or any other way, and then see if there is a product market fit for that product that you imagined, or there is a market for it, and there is a demand to, to purchase it, and so on. So, the, like the, overall, the MVP is the vehicle for you to test if the product that you imagined solves the problem you wanted to solve and it has a market with people who are willing to pay for, for the product that you built, right? So that's mm -hmm. kind of the, 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 the overall picture, the way I see it. Yeah. And just on that, like from a personal perspective with, with yourself, David, like when you joined Easy Size, what was it about their mission that made you think like, this is something that I can really kind of take far? I, I can tell you like uh, in, in this side, we have a great example of both of these approaches, right? So when the company at its inception, uh, Gulnas, our founder, she saw that kind of demand on the market for uh, people who are buying clothing and not really getting the right size or the success rate on getting the right size every time is really low. And there is a whole hustle with the returns and also in the environmental impact that that uh, fashion industry generates from that as well, right? So she started with like a problem first. So there's a problem with, with sizing and fitting. And her take was as a, like most uh, uh, founders, especially non-technical ones, like let's just get together some people, we'll get some funding, we'll build some MVP and or version of product, we'll get our first clients and kind of go from there. And that's what we did for the first uh, five to six years because that kind of naturally leads you to the, so it's not where you, you build a product like from your vision, it's like when you try to find the product that's there, right? You know the, the the problem and you're going to find which product will be the one that actually people prefer to solve that problem. And we ended up working with a, a lot of cool companies, uh, in, especially in large enterprises, right? We worked with like eBay and uh, BP and, and that was really nice and cool towards kind of giants. But then like you, you, that's we didn't manage to build the, the stable enough product that would kind of grow and scale as a startup is expected to. So, like after maybe 15, 20 clients, we were generating some revenue, but nothing to to write uh, home about, uh, as the saying goes. But and then in 2019, where we kind of all got a lot of experience in the industry and the domain knowledge. What we saw is that that there was a new niche on the market, uh, the which just kind of started rising. We, it, it was direct to consumer brands, and what we saw is that there's a lot of new brands coming out, and there is not really a big product for sizing and fitting for those brands. Most of our competitors had the same exact product we had at the time, uh, and kind of it didn't really fit well with that new uh, audience. And then we had this idea of like just completely pivoting uh, 180 degrees and going completely the other way, not towards the enterprises, but towards the small and medium businesses, especially D2C brands. And I had this idea how to, we can build it on top of the technology we had on top of the data we collected over the years. And we built it and we started kind of trying to test it on the market, trying to find those D2C brands and sell it to, and, and so on and so forth. And it was kind of going okay. We had in the first month, maybe five five customers or something. But then Corona hit, and that changed the whole situation. The 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 the, the trends on D two C brands started skyrocketing, and we closed the first year, the twenty twenty. We closed with a hundred customers on that new product, and we at that point we like that that was the time where 
you know, I, for the first time in my life, I felt the product market fit because it was yeah. the year of complete onboarding every day. We just onboarded customers. We, as the same as Zoom, we didn't have time to work on the product at all. So whatever we built in that one month prior to that as an MVP, that was the product all customers used for pretty much the whole year because we didn't have resources to, to, to work on it. And that's where we're like, okay, now we got to the first milestone, a hundred customers. And from that point, it was more strategically working on this product that we now knew has a, a lot more potential than the one we had before. And we started just validating ideas on like whether we should add a dashboard for them or whether we should add a self-service solution for them or whether we should change the processes that they have on the way they restock items and so on. And yeah, we essentially doubled the second year to 200 and the, the third year we doubled that to 400 uh, again. So that was the the, the, the better way for yeah. us at least to, to get to the, the proper product market fit for sure. No, it sounds like it. Hundred percent, like you say, it's um, it's interesting. To obviously, just being thrown into the deep end, like you say, in in the, in that year when I think so many people were as well, but especially in like the online kind of e-commerce sector. I mean, it must have been must have been pretty crazy. So, um, anyone else kind of got any advancements on like the the initial kind of um idea generation behind that? Like, is, has anybody else been involved in that kind of process previously? And if so, what was it like for you? Yeah, I think and that's from. <clears throat> Uh, from my front and from my previous uh, experience uh, where we built uh, first uh, digital pension solution of Tenma. So it was also, so one is, you know, kind of coming with, with a vision or very innovative uh, idea or kind of like finding some market uh, fit. But then there is also a problem where we have so many legacy systems uh, from back in the day, which was really, uh, fit very well and solves all, all the problems, have uh, customers and everything. Um, but they are slow. So more is to introduce the more di digitalizations in the in, in, in the advanced frameworks and new framework technology. So here it's also come with the idea of how we prove that, uh, come with a small uh, POC, some MVP uh, to, to showcase that we can adopt and we can migrate from an from a old framework, old system to the new one. Um, yeah. Got it. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, I think, Kirill, were you going to kind of jump in on, on that as well? I can share some thoughts. So you asked about idea generation and MVP. I like the saying, might be a bit controversial, but like, like idea is cheap, execution is everything. So basically what I, and I'm speaking here, not from natural cycles experience, but from like some other startups, for example, or startup weekends or observing how other startups do. Basically, the sooner you get them to the kind of figuring out the way on the way. So important is to have like the right team, right setup and right startup iterating and uh, be in this process of finding product market fit and uh, basically trading, changing until until you sense that there is a product market fit. So because like it's Hard, I mean, it's very hard to idea or like or validate the idea without executing something and trying and validating by that. So, yeah, pretty much execution is everything. So start building, uh, iterating, and finding. On the one hand, finding this product market fit towards like the audience in your market. On the other hand, I think it's very important also trying to find the fit of the does this team work or this. In the startup, we're usually talking about this small team or founding team, and yeah, first engineers or first uh, first employees. So, does this work? Does this setup work? And are we fast? Are we doing the right thing along these lines? Awesome. And anyone kind of got any advancements on, on what Kirill just said? Cause it's like say quite a big statement. Um, but has anybody kind of got any advancements or anything on he's just said? In, in my experience, us. like the oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No worries. I just wanted to say it's it's interesting how you know things devolve and how they get uh, born. Uh, the idea of Glaze started with a, with a problem. In particular, we knew that there was such a big you know a long tail of legacy systems uh, you know that are essentially not being they're being neglected on the market. So when you you know, Blaze is a real-time, you know, brand new, modern, you know, we, we think of it as the easiest way to order and pay. 
but the concept you know started as can we take all these thousands of uh, you know uh, legacy even large supermarkets chains retail stores and bring them online in a second and to be able to you know grow to be to do that you need to start simply so we chose and cherry picked people uh, that were able to you know give us the industry knowledge which we didn't we had learning understanding you know running uh, let's say operation on a global scale but we didn't know anything about retail or hospitality and, and so we started you know building together with partners which grew up to a model which now you could sign up with blaze it's completely live and online it will take you less than 60 seconds no demos not anything but you could also be a reseller and you could actually white label and you know you will never see blaze you will it will the idea why i'm saying this is instead of you know marketing and growing so to speak and exploring we were building it step by step with talking to people from industry and we actually reached or are reaching you know product market sales feeds because you know we spend no no money on advertisement there is no you know glaze advertisement besides maybe you know us posting uh, you know a few posts on linkedin because we didn't even want to grow that much that fast but we were deliberate it's actually you know in how we grow that the features we do is not one off feature that you know customer a needs and customer needs b needs something else so we build like all these integration hooks and uh, maybe just to sum up why you know glaze well i originally talked about you know uh, you know when i built the, the you know the first let's say con you know iterations of glaze i thought as exoskeleton easy to put on like you're not going to change a big operation you're not going to change their you know training you're not going to change their device but they should be able to try and if they like keep it and if you don't like they, they put it you know away without risk but it became so smooth and nice that essentially it, it feels like glaze you know no matter what you run in behind the scenes your front-end customer experience are going to be smooth And maybe what's more worth to, to say, you know, uh, we haven't on board onboarded hundreds of customers, but I can say we never lost one either. So you know, it's it's going the right direction. Yeah, no, that's really important. You know, retention is you know, in some some people may say that it's actually you know more important than winning new customers. So that's obviously a big part of it as well. Um, David, were you going to jump in and, and add something to, to something that Carol or, or Alex had said? Yeah, just a small like uh, a comment for me on on what what Carol has said is uh, like regarding the execution versus the ideation, right? Uh, like it's definitely the execution is like one of the most crucial parts, right? In any in anyone who considers like ideas to be like more prevalent than execution, they just kind of take it for granted. And assuming that you know you can always find people to do the the good job, uh, but uh, one of the 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 Startups I've seen. Uh, one my friend works started from like an idea of a social uh, service, like a kind of a, a streaming service, and then they build a product around that. But they didn't find like any product market fit. But then with going through that, they build a really really good team doing that. So what they are doing now is just trying to figure out what other product they could do because that one didn't find the product market fit. And I think like, just to add to what Kirill said, like, I think it's definitely really important, but I don't think for every idea, there is a team that can get it to product market fit. There's definitely dead product ideas for sure that, you know, like almost no one can uh, be successful unless it's the right time or like the right random, the right, right entropy for that idea to get some traction on the market. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, Aaron, you, you, you come in. Yeah, yeah, I want to react. So, I also seen you know some uh, few times and also have been working through a few projects where the, the technical foundation was really strong, scalable, but the product didn't find its market fit. So, here and 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 in my experience, those products were mostly started by a technical founder, and being a technician, a technician, we just dive into 
solution mode, right? And then there is a whole world in front of us. And then we forget how it looked like in the business business world. And similarly, if you look at business people who have no idea about uh, any framework, any technical skills, nothing, but they come up with an awesome um, idea from nowhere and it has a market fit. So, you know, and, and there I feel like, um, yeah, being being a technician is maybe good to just focus or, or solution the built which solve more technical problems rather than business. Um, but we are good in executing it and building business solutions for, for sure. Uh, but diving more into technical might also become like lost and refining uh, uh, product more on the technical side. But then it, yeah, then fit into the market. That's a really good point. That's something I was going to bring up, actually, um, just as, as David was speaking. And then, Aram, you've kind of gone a little bit further into it as well. Um, does anybody think it's possible to find product market fit without having an MVP in place? Or do you really need to have that product in front of potential customers to work out whether or not it could be a, a business? If I can, I, I, I can give you my opinion. I think definitely is possible, like 100%. And I saw Kirill kind of nodding no, but <laughs> it, it all depends on what kind of idea it is, right? So one of the one of the kind of like one of the examples of the product that you could do that with would be like a, a, some time killer mobile game, right? Like those kind of match three kind of games that they all essentially the the revolve around what's what what's your acquisition strategy for users right it doesn't matter what kind of game you have those kind of time killer match three type of games they just compete for the same user base with ads on like facebook or instagram or what have you so even no no matter what what good kind of uh captivating game you created if you don't have that user acquisition strategy you don't have a product market fit right so in that way like if you were to start a game like that today you would probably have to figure out first how you're going to get those users in and that that validation alone if you just do like fake uh, app store kind of pages uh, and kind of start selling ads and seeing like what what's your cut look looks like uh, that would be a validation good enough for you that would be an mvp of your approach right because mvp is kind of it depends what your product is uh, for some companies, the marketing is the product or the sales funnel is the product. So for them, that they don't need the technological kind of the, the, the coders to do the MVP. They need, you know, the, the creatives and uh, the marketing people to do the MVP for sure. So it boils down to what is the product then, yeah, to agree with you. So if, yeah, if marketing is a product, it could be validated. But otherwise, it's uh, maybe it's a terminology question, like product market fit. There is a product in it, so so if if there is if something else is a product, then yes. But if there's no product, I struggle to to find the. Uh, I mean, I mean like the, you can find the market fit, right? Yeah. If you like the product market fit, the kind of dictates that the product has to be tested, but like the the, the the some version of a product, right? So the it's not uh, that whether the market is there or not, right? So yeah, I totally agree with Kirill. I remember the example, you know, of, let's say I've been long enough to remember the example of uh, Dropbox when, you know, the, the, maybe you remember the story. The, the founder created an idea and with paper clips made the magic of files syncing through phones and there was no product, no coding at all. The simple video on YouTube, which got 70,000 plus subscribers, you know, in, in a week. That's clearly, you know, a possible but highly improbable scenarios for, you know, that happens like maybe once in 10 million, uh, you know, for the for all practical purposes, I would expect that, you know, you need to do some product uh, to reach the fit. That's was actually it, a really it, good it paid, point. Paid subscribers? Sorry, was it paid subscribers or just like uh, in email subscribers? Email subscribers. That was just the mm -hmm. test concept. You, may, you can look it, look up the video. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, it, it's very funny. Mm -hmm. Early two thousands. You know, with you mm -hmm. know, paper mm -hmm. clips. You know, but, but it was simulated. completely free at the time when it launched as well. Yes, like, mm -hmm. like, they but it's didn't not have the a paid because, mm -hmm. because you know when people do validation, it's like if you go on the street and ask many people, would you use it? A lot of people would say yes, but then would you pay it? Also, would you pay for it? A lot of people also would right. say yes, but when the moment you ask to pay for it, 
80 percent of them will charge and it's yeah. like very different so it's not really a valid it's validating of marketing or validating of the message but it's, but, like, it's still but, but like the, a funny thing about this story is that like it was a day when you know the dropbox product was an innovation right so no one knew that those right. things existed like that 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 like 2000 uh, 2000s and early maybe even 2010s that was the year where like there was those a bunch of free products that were just like completely brand new and no one ever seen anything like it and now we are getting one like maybe every 5 years or so and so when we were like that's why it feels like you know as of today everything has been invented so like now we have the 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 most effective tactics right so why wouldn't you use them they just didn't have that back then so <laughs> they were just Doing random stuff, and then like a bunch of, of uh, startups kind of stuck to the wall, and then uh, we we know them now. But it was a hundred more, and or not not even maybe thousands, where they also did that, but no no one has seen it because they didn't get the right type of entropy uh, on board. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's some really interesting points brought there, and it's like um, like we're talking about again about product market fit. I mean, there's so many different ways to interpret that. I appreciate it's quite a a general question, um, but I think some really really good points brought up from everyone there, and it, it was making me think then as well just about the, once you feel you found that that product market fit or that market fit, you you kind of at a point where you have some traction. At, at which point do you feel then that the time is to start? advancing on that to start hiring engineers to start growing the team like how comfortable do you have to be with that fit that you found to start really scaling i, I can start it's just like <clears throat> this ways obviously but i it may be able to stay very state something very obvious but i think the biggest loss kind of a productivity or efficiency in the team is when you go above one engineer because you cannot beat the machine the efficiency the power of everything in one head of one person it's like it's unbeatable it's like 10x engineer feeling it's like so and how to interpret it to your question is basically i would stay with that in that mode as long as possible without the risks in the modern world in the bigger companies everyone will say oh bus factor risk one person knows it all it's too risky but for startup it doesn't matter it's it's vice versa is the most efficient you can get and this person found there then it's really ideal and you don't hire anyone or it's a per like first person you hire you hire this one person that could do anything you probably wouldn't hire one back end one front end or something something ideally is to hire the first engineer to be the most universal do it all kind of person and to stay as long as maybe controversial but stay as long as possible and the moment you like become two and you kind of then you tell line called review and stuff and you not it's not the end of the world but it's a very different stage so it's hot take any advances on carol's hot take yeah i can give you my sense of my first sense as well uh, uh, like the, the I, I, on one side i totally agree with carol like that's the because i was also that first uh, developer and we did have a front-end separation but we had a lot more technological product i think in terms of like the 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 amount of programming was like 95 percent in the beginning i think out of the whole product because we were super like niche uh, product on on the whole flow for shoppers but behind the scenes it was too much to be handled by one person uh, but yeah of course like the the moment you get more developers it everything gets slower and more complex and uh, suddenly you start seeing mistakes that weren't there so you have to do the processes and like code reviews and that kind of stuff uh, that you didn't need to do before uh, so that's that but uh, like overall i think the moment where you kind of start going from um from on, like when you are too overwhelmed by onboarding i think that's where you where, where you start shifting to, to 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 the next gear because you know when when all your problem is scaling then like something needs to change on the bottom line as well and you need to start working on the product and optimizing it and reducing some manual labor involved because everyone does like 10 10 15 percent of all the processes in the product manually in the first kind of year because you you don't want to build stuff that you don't know is going to be needed or uh, it's going to be uh, in demand in general as a feature. So yeah, it's like at some point you kind of feel it, 
but like I, I think that's that's the saying saying right that like you you if you have to ask if you have product market fit then that means you don't have it like for, I def definitely got that feeling that in 2020 where like okay now I know how it feels like now we don't even need to ask like we just need to start gearing up for the scale. If I may, a second, there are a couple of trends I would like to pull in the whole conversation. It's uh, it's a topic that you could actually, you know, look into multitude of, of latitudes, like from, you know, the, down the weeds on daily basis to, you know, 100 kilometers above sea level. First, I, I, I think it's better to just think in terms of product market sales fit, assuming that you have a product and that that product needs some sales and that means like a, a coherent story that not only your team but also customers and real life people needs to understand and the second thing is scaling is a multi-dimensional uh, if you like topic uh, scaling as a business and scaling as a team is a different thing and in my mind i really you know if let's say if someone asked me what's the ideal scale well i would say small team you know big impact in a sense that you probably, you know, don't need, you know, to hire 100 people for 100 customers. Like ideal cases, maybe again, looking at the outliers there is, uh, you know, uh, was it like the Instagram, like 16 people, $1 billion, right? You know, you don't, with competent people, with 21st century cloud technology, essentially, you just need, you know, clarity in what you are doing, how and why. And then, you know, nailing down things like, so to speak, day-to-day -day basis will allow you to scale without scaling manpower necessarily. That's a really good point. I think that's, um, and again, like you said yourself, Alex, that could open up so many different lines of conversation, um, especially when it comes to things like work-life balance and all that kind of stuff as well. There's obviously a huge kind of path to go down there. Um and that was just again bringing on to another thing which we wanted to discuss which was like budgeting uh which is obviously you know when you're in startup phase it's it's everything um without a budget without you know good cash flow you're never going to have a business to to build your products for um when we take into account scaling bringing engineers into the team what, what do you feel you know is it, it, there's i guess there's no one correct approach of doing it but from what you've done in the past and, and startups that you've all worked in previously for example, would you go for a team of like five or six engineers, like we've just been speaking about, that are, you know, maybe on slightly lower salaries, but have three or four years of experience? Or would you go and find one or two people at the very kind of top of their game and expect them to kind of manage that in a better way than maybe a larger team would? Um Again, you know, this is a matter of, you know, uh, there is no right way. There is no best way. Everyone, you know, knows what, like, should find their best way in the context they are. The things that work for me might not have worked for you. My personal approach would be, you know, cherry pick people that are, you know, um, experienced. Uh, and then I don't mean just like in writing code, you know, uh, thinking multi uh, on different lat latitudes. Um, you cannot delegate understanding. You cannot delegate experience, you know, uh, in particular with startup, in particular when you're, you know, still, you know, might be even just negative, you know, cash flow. You're just burned. You have a constant burn rate. Budgeting, in my mind, in those early days is interchangeable with, you know, your manpower. So everything you are doing, which does not help you do real life impact daily or hourly, is, you know, essentially, you know, wrong budgeting. Right. Now, now going back, why I say, you know, you cannot delegate uh, understanding, you cannot delegate experiences because often, you know, when you, let's say, build an MVP, you're, you know, sometimes people come with the PowerPoint, they need the design. You, with drawing from experience, can, you know, uh, take sh a shortcut, you could trim and prune, and prune, and you still can have meaningful user experience that, you know, maybe a person with, let's say, a few years less, you know, could still think for lack of, for example, 
uh, a lack of uh, confidence. They, they might think that they need the, the best absolute product on the market. No, you need to, to have the product that works for particular people good enough that they might be, you know, the users for you. So why I'm saying this, you know, there are a bunch of, you know, ways uh, I, that, let's just think of Airbnb to Entire organization we had. I'm building. I have an idea of net next next marketplace of, of sorts. You know, I log into Airbnb. I just see a listing. You know, if the point of my you know uh, you know let's say MVP or the stage I am you know is to have produce a kick-ass you know user flow, which is incredibly smooth that you know people would like like. I don't really need to know. How the, let's say, the data behind the listing is there? Did I hire, you know, developers to build onboarding, sign up, professional photographers? No, I could just grab JSON and stick it in the database, you know, from end user perspective. This would be essentially like a finished product. I can book with you, even though like I might have done it to Postman. You see, and this just conversation, we took like a month or two, you know, shortcut, which we did not make a sign up. We did not make onboarding. We did not hire photographers to, to, to make your, but you could still book with you. So, and, and again, going, goes back to the shortcuts. I somehow feel like, you know, you know, in the age of today, maybe going forward with AI things would be differently, but the edge of today, you still have to have real life product experience to know which shortcuts would give you a boost and which shortcuts could kill you. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, it's um, obviously a huge thing, isn't it? Like you say, and, and working out which of those shortcuts is going to be which is, I imagine, exciting, but also pretty scary along the way. Um I was I was going to come to you, Aram, because I know you've you've got a lot of experience, obviously prior to Danske Bank working in a number of different startups. And when it comes to hiring teams yourself in the past, what have you kind of found has been your kind of most successful approach? Yeah, um, yeah. When it comes to scaling and uh, adding more people in the team, it's also very crucial and important to to keep the confidence level uh, of the people who are currently in the team who have invested initially a lot. Uh, while you are bringing more in. So uh, what I have learned uh, and experienced and the best approach I find it uh, to go with a good balance in the seniority. If there is a senior, for example, if at that step, uh, uh, stage I have a senior, then I probably uh, lean to hire a, a, a comparable junior developer. So the senior one can share the knowledge and then she, senior one also probably wanted to grow up himself further up right, either uh, horizontally uh, in the team and in the product development. Uh, and and, uh, and this, I find it where developer also uh, feel very motivated that they are the, the, the one who are in the team has space to grow up. And the junior one also bringing in. Uh, but also being uh, uh, crucial to put two, two same senior people on the same task is also a bit challenging. So it's good to do, to just delegate separately, um, separate in, 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 so they won't collide, but they still you know progress and um, and work together. Um, yeah, so it's all it's not only just bringing new people in, but it's also uh, the people who are currently in the team, because at then they all have to work together. Yeah. And again, it comes down to that point. I know we were talking about customers before, but retention versus bringing new people in is obviously such a, a big thing on both sides of it. Um, sorry, Kirill, didn't mean to, uh, to cut you off there. Hmm. I want to add, yeah, we actually have a formula. So we try to uh, hire one junior and match it with one senior. So kind of officialize it in like a buddy program. So we, we only hire junior when we have like a spare senior, mid-senior person to tie with for like a six months, a year. So that could be like, a, it could change, but roughly keeping that trajectory. I read it somewhere that it's a thing. Someone else is doing this one, one, and it makes total sense. So I think it works both ways and works great. But we are very, sometimes we are lacking uh, more senior people. And then we basically, we wait and we don't hire because it's a bit of a risk because junior person left alone. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a risk. They won't develop as much. And uh, yeah, but all, all balance is very important, very important. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with that approach from Carol. Like you can't have juniors without seniors. That that's just you'll never end up using anything they wrote essentially. Like or someone will have to rewrite it. Uh, but like the, the 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 if going back to like the original question, like it, it, for me it's kind of two part uh, two parts that are equally important. There's the budgeting part is the way I look at it and the way we look at it in the team is more from like a business standpoint. So. Any any budget or any round we raise we raise with a specific uh, uh, goal or milestone the next milestone in mind and the specific timeline right so when we when when you play the startup game right you know that how much let's say ARR you need to have to get to the Series B or Series A and then you say okay how fast we can get there and then you end up with like okay we can do this many people and we'll get it there in like a year or we can do Less people will be less stressed, will have more uh, chance of success, but will go slower, like in, in two years, right? So, and that's the, you just make that kind of trade-offs when you when you think about the budget. When it comes to like hiring senior, mid, or junior, like my, I always want to hire sen more as as much possible senior people, but it's really hard in the beginning, I think. Like when you don't have a kind of a sexy product yet, you don't have a lot of customers, it's really hard to find like a senior person who would join you and not be there just like uh, uh, for the, the paycheck or like to, to have a good title. Uh, so what, what I usually do is like, I, I really like to hire uh, people with a high internal drive. No matter whatever skills they have, people with high internal drive will definitely improve uh, and they kind of fill like gas, right? Fill out the space that you you give them. Like when when uh, Gulnas, our founder, she hired me, uh, that's like the funny story uh, from my career. So I, I moved to Denmark because my but I didn't speak English and I didn't know Python. And then two months in, I found like landed a job as a lead Python developer in an English com speaking company. And basically, my whole pitch was that that I'm driven enough that if you give me a chance, I'll be the best uh, Python developer you ever seen. And yes, eight years later, I'm still there, uh, being a co-founder and CTO now. So yeah, like I, I definitely always bet on people with high internal drive over any hard skills that the people can learn or the number of years they have on their CV. Absolutely. Awesome. That's that's a cool story as well. Like. Um... I guess, yeah, that's a very difficult thing to judge as well. But like you say, you know, if someone's got the drive to do it, they're going to do it. It's like the, the saying that you see a lot around is like completely the opposite to what you've said, but also still has some relevance. It's like if you hire a lazy person to do a job, they'll always find the easiest way to do something. So like you say, it's not always just, you know, who's got what skills, how many years they've been doing that for. It's it's a lot deeper than that. Um, and especially in, in, in just in tech, so. sometimes the easiest way is just to blame it on other people <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's in, why in, that in tech too. it doesn't always i think if if you hire a factory worker uh, that's lazy you can definitely profit from the laziness <laughs> yeah 100%. but especially in a remote company i don't think like lazy people can like it, it's not that hard for them to find the, the way not to work <laughs> yeah there's always, always a way around it um I was just going to come to like something a little bit more kind of obviously everyone, as I said, in this call has, has been through that kind of initial MVP process about, you know, being in the very kind of first days of a startup. Um, I'd imagine that all of you, and if, if you say you haven't, I'd really struggle to believe you. I'm sure everyone's made mistakes. I'm sure everyone has um, done things that they look back and, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I think I, I would have done this a lot differently. But at the same time, also had some incredible ideas had some things that really worked for them. Um, so I want to just discuss like some of the, the kind of big highs and the big lows that people have had um, when it comes to that kind of initial product build and finding um, the fit for your products as well. Has anyone got any like amazing, like positive stories or, you know, incredible horror stories about things that, that happened to them whilst working in like an early age business? Yeah, I, I can go first. It's just I'm talking too much. I always give other people chance. If I don't worry, it's okay. <laughs> Jump in. <laughs> uh, uh, like the, 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 I think that the, the common problems are always there forever. Is that like if you if it's a B2C product, you always think that you are the target audience. It's like I would use it, so let's do everything that I think we should do. 
and then we'll start testing it on other people once it's done. It's like a default programmer building a, a B2C product. And uh, for B2B, it's most commonly it's like you kind of uh, test it like yourself and then you, you, as a technical person, you always learn the few tricks to how to make the software work. And they're like, you know, like to, to, to get to the next step, you just need to go back and then forward. Like, it's just that we know it's a known bug, but like everyone seems to figure it out and they never do. Like the, the, the complexity of UI UX is the, I think the, the biggest problem where you test it on like people in your tech company and then you deploy it on a, on a, on a, on a, on a like a, a client or a customer. They don't have technical people. Then they're like, oh, I don't understand what to do here. So that's uh, not testing at the right time. I think that's the biggest. Uh, uh, biggest problem for everyone uh, for sure that, that, but yeah I don't really have any like horror stories where like everything went to shit yeah it's oh, it, not 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 in the product uh, not like I think like to make a horrible mistake in the product is they need to be like really really oblivious for, because it, <laughs> it, it takes like a few months to make that mistake yeah that, that's a really good point as well because it, it bring. I can't remember who said it earlier, but someone made the point of um, how a technical founder will approach it differently to like a business founder. Obviously, the technical founder, like you say, is just purely about the technology, what they're building, how it's going to work, and how it kind of looks behind the scenes. Whereas obviously, the business person is more focused on product market fit, what the customers really need and want. So I think having that combination is, is from what you've just said, David, is, is probably the, the best solution if possible. Um, any other thoughts on positive or really negative stories? Yeah, I can add uh, one from the big corporate <coughs> sector. So mostly, but uh, I think always we have a big uh, whole complex uh, projects and products uh, who have a ton of legacy system underlying it. So it's really, really uh, challenging to build uh, or revamp a new, pro new, uh, new product. Because every time when we start uh, laying out the design or architecture, we ended up an infinite uh, uh, solution mode. And uh, recently, we have successfully uh, successfully did the first pi uh, pilot launch. And two years back, we were in the same situation. And then we ended up uh, start designing uh, with a backward approach that what we wanted to show it to the customer. And going to back backward and slide and, and just split, uh, splitting out uh, the complex teams into small chunks and see what is possible we can achieve it in in less time period. So we have something because we know it's a complex product and no matter what we cannot uh, spend ten years on building that we have to build something. So we start uh, start from uh, backward approach and it it works really well at least um, especially in, in the in the complex system where we have less problem with the market fit because it's a market fit already. We have millions of customers, but we wanted to revamp the, the whole product with the new latest technologies. Brilliant. Well, at least you got there in the end, right? That's all part of the journey, I suppose, but always nice to hear a little, a little success after a struggle. Um, Kirill, Alex, any kind of um, ideas that have sprung to mind whilst uh, David and Aram have been talking? I mean, depends on, you know, how, you know, how much... We can turn this into four hours of humility, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just to, to, you know, first to say, you know, it's everything depends on the context you are, whether we are talking hiring, like learning mistakes you could afford to make, you know, depends on the industry, depends your size, you know, different customers, do you have one, you know, but what, what I would like to say is the highs. Uh, I'm, an, I'm kind of really a nerd. I like to be hands-on, you know, uh, and work with the code and build architecture and whatnot. But I really enjoyed the most in the early stages of, you know, just creating a concept. Like do, there is a world of possibilities that you have, you know, been given to carve out a new opportunity, you know, new business in the world. Then you go into, you know, critical stages, you and some one else one in the industry learn how to make a product, you know, and that's like very exhilarating experience. Like 
when you grown, let's say fast forward 10 years later, you have like 50 employees working there. It's just work. You know, you've delegated a lot of responsibility. You know, you are growing teams. You have capacity to hire a principal and junior team and have one-on-one -on -one and coaching and things like this. Progress, right? But uh, about, you know, I would say like, uh, at least as I have experienced it in the early stage, even of nerd, like, you know, products, and it, 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 it's a journey. You know, Alexander today, it just did not get born today. Like it developed with, you know, minus one, minus one, going back 10 years. I would say take a shortcut, you know, you know uh, simplify things like, for example, the fastest thing you could do, like to grow, in my opinion, a developer and yourself is to simplify things. You no, know, we can spend hours talking about complex real-time architectures. Simply, that exercise bring you, you know, you know, to essentially grow, understand, you know, bridge engineering, bridge people. Generally, engineering is easy. Generally, more people are difficult. As you grow, you know, if you're early in your career you know, sweat the details, like doesn't mean, you know, anxiety, you know, perfectionism, like, but you don't want people to double check your triple check your work, you know, because you didn't, you know, sweat the details, like, take ownership. As, as you grow, you, you know, you take more ownership and you have more influence, like, don't, you know, be scared behind the ego, you know, to build Alexander has an image and it has to be perfect. And, you know, the product that Alexander is building has to be perfect. Like, you know, start early, you, you know, attack the same problem from multiple fronts, like demo it, you know, talk to actual customers, release it. Like, you know, uh, it, it's going to be better, but you learn, you, you grow thick skin and you, you tune better and then you're going to make less mistakes over time. And hopefully, you know, when, you know, 10 years in the future, you make less mistakes and you get more things right. Uh, I would just say like, cover the journey. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's a journey. It's that's that's it like you know and in, in the case of blaze maybe i just take another minute i was so lucky to be able to actually work on blaze uh there are you know a few people from microsoft uh you know in blaze that we got together and then got hired another one you know uh it, it, it's a journey it's it really is a journey like you know i i i'm happy and grateful to be here with the group of people do, doing what you're doing but I guess I wouldn't have had the chance to be here if I didn't sweat the details 10 years ago and, you know, grew a thick in and, you know, with a bunch of failures on the way and, and, and so on and so on. Amazing. Awesome. Um, just kind of conscious on, on time. I know we've, uh, we've, we've been on for, for almost an hour. Um, We've covered a lot of the points that we were going to go through in the initial um, kind of topics that we, we were going to cover. But is there anything else that that people want to bring up? Anything else that they feel we've missed or is important to mention based around the the kind of topics that we've already covered? No, all good, perfect. Okay, no worries at all. Well, um, in that case. Um, Really appreciate everyone's time again. I know I mentioned it at the start. I know everyone's incredibly busy. So if you'd taken an hour out of your day to uh, to come along to this conversation, contribute your kind of knowledge and experience is massively appreciated. I hope you've all taken something away from it yourselves. Um, you know, who knows, you may be in, in the future looking to build another kind of uh, product from the ground up or another business from the ground up. And hopefully anyone watching who's kind of at the start of that journey or thinking about making that step has been able to take something away from Kirill, Alex, David and Aram uh, today. So um, thanks a lot, everyone, for joining. And I'll speak to you all again very soon. Have a good evening. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot for inviting me. Thank you. Awesome. Pleasure. Thanks a lot, everyone. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye.